Bibles up to Philippians chapter 1, please. We're going to get started. We, Philippians chapter 1, continuing our series in the book of Philippians. We'll be in verses 12 through 14 today. We'll take a look at those verses in a few moments. We've been following the beginning of this letter. We've seen Paul share his heart for the Philippians. We've seen his great affection for them, his example to them of friendship in the gospel. And we've seen uh, the other week his prayer for the Philippians as well, this wonderful prayer for them. And now we will hear from Paul as he shares with his friends what's going on in his life. He's going to give an update And talk about what's going on. He is actually in prison as he writes this letter. And he's not wanting to merely update them about what's going on. He also wants to bring them some benefit. He wants to bring them the benefit of sharing in the ministry of the persecuted. I think as we look at this today, we we will see that there is this idea of the ministry or the fellowship of the persecuted. Paul is persecuted. He is in jail for his faith. He is in chains for his faith. And he wants to update the Philippians about that, but he also wants to call them into this fellowship, this partnership with those who are in prison, those who are persecuted. He wants them to enjoy the the good fruit that flows from persecution. There's actually good fruit. And they want, he wants them to also support him in his sufferings. He wants this mutual relationship to occur between the Philippians and him as he is suffering. The blessing that comes from the Philippians being aware and seeing his example, the blessing that comes to him as they support him. Now, this is in Scripture not just for the sake of the Philippians and Paul, It's in Scripture for our sake as well. And perhaps nowadays, more than ever, there is the need for us to understand the fellowship of the persecuted that we are called into. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what the Scriptures teach. We're going to talk about the persecuted in the world today. Every year, uh, many churches have a day of prayer for the persecuted, and, and essentially today is our day our day of prayer, our day of addressing this issue. It fits right in line with the text today. And it is my prayer that you would sense God calling you, inviting you to share in this fellowship of the persecuted. So let's pray and ask Him to do just that, to speak to us through His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this section of Scripture. We thank You for the invitation You give to us to consider the persecuted, to fellowship with them, to be blessed by them, to bless them. And I pray, Lord, as I seek to teach Your Word today, would You call us? Would You invite us? Would You change us? Would You bless many through this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. It says, Paul says to the Philippians, thank you. 
I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Three short verses, but three verses full of implications, full of instruction, full of life for us. And I imagine that many of us are familiar, speaking of the persecuted, um, just with the history of Christianity. We've maybe even just seen the movies, uh, the movies of the early Christians being thrown to the lions and the different things that went on, crazy Nero driving his chariot and doing awful things. I'm sure we're familiar with the early history of Christianity and, and the martyrs, the Christians that died for their faith. But did you know that the past 100 years of history have been the bloodiest for Christians around the world? Since the death and resurrection of Christ, 2,000 years ago, 43 million Christians have become martyrs. Over 50% of them were in the last century alone. Over 20 million Christians. Today, more than 200 million Christians face persecution each day. 200 million. 60% are children. Every day, over 300 are killed for their faith in Christ. Every day. That averages about one every five minutes. So by the time we're done with this message today, there will be eight more martyrs for Christ. This is a significant thing, and we are somewhat insulated from it here in America. Thank God for the freedoms we have. But there, these freedoms we have are a stewardship for us. And a, and a place for us to work from to enter into this fellowship of the persecuted. I wanted today to illustrate uh, the persecuted, the martyrs for you, so it would become real. So we have a, a video, a short video to show, uh, among many stories that you can find out there, uh, on our brothers and sisters. So are we ready to go? Hmm. The police had been watching our house. Sorry, I think I need to In my country, Christians are persecuted for their faith. My friend, David Alexandra, is now in prison since three and one half years. His three daughters are growing up without their father. I was also imprisoned for teaching about Christ. My name is Salavat. I'm a pastor in northern Uzbekistan. I had been convicted and sentenced 
to eight years in prison. After I served only four months, they dropped the charges and released me. I was praising God and went home to my wife and two daughters. When I got there, my little girl was so excited to see me. The police had been watching our house and no one had been able to help my family. The food was gone and for the last week they had nothing but water. Our baby couldn't even nurse because my wife had no milk to give her. In prison I had endured many things but nothing prepared me for seeing my family like this. My wife asked me, what will we do? And I said, we will pray and our God will provide. The next morning, I went to work in the garden. Nothing was growing, but I didn't know what else to do. When my daughter came out to help me, she asked, if we work in the garden, will your God give us bread? I told her to wait, to trust in God. So we just kept working. We kept praying. A few hours later, two men suddenly appeared at our house. They asked if my name was Salavat. I said yes, and asked them what their names were. They said it wasn't important. And when I reached out to shake their hands, one of them placed an envelope in mine. I looked and saw that it was full of money. When I looked up, the men were gone. I don't know who they were or where they came from, but my daughter and I rejoiced. God had provided. As I share this story, I am now again being watched by the police and could be arrested at any time. I am not afraid of going back to prison, but I pray, please God, don't let my family go hungry. We can no longer meet in our church building so we worship in the desert. Only a few brothers are able to gather at a time. We cannot even bring our Bibles. In Uzbekistan, some are afraid. Others believe the persecution is a test of our faith. David's family says this testing is hard, but it has made them stronger. Меня зовут Саша, мне 14 лет, и мой отец, он уже три с половиной года сидит в тюрьме, то что он пастор церкви. У меня есть большая просьба для вас, просто молиться за него, за его освобождение, просто за его здоровье, чтобы, чтобы в душе он был спокоен просто и держался за Бога.
God invites us to share in the fellowship of the persecuted. Let's take time to go through this section of Scripture to base this call to understand it from His Word. Let's look at what Paul does in teaching the Philippians about that, about this idea of the fellowship of the persecuted. Verse 12. He says to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He introduces, after his introduction of expressing his heart, his prayer for them, he tells them he wants them to know about his imprisonment, what has happened, this thing that has happened to him. This thing is his imprisonment. Later on, he tells us that he's in chains. He's imprisoned here. He's probably under house arrest. Likely he's in Rome, um, and house arrest would mean that he could live in a house that he had to pay for, but he couldn't leave the house. And likely he would be chained in that house, even perhaps chained to a Roman soldier, perhaps even day and night. There was different degrees of how they would treat prisoners. So he's chained, we know that. He's chained probably in a house. He's there day and night. He relies on the charity of his friends to care for him, to provide food and clothing. But he doesn't want to report to them merely these details. His concern for them is that they would have a perspective on his imprisonment. They would have a perspective on his, the persecution he's experienced that would be different than how they might naturally perceive the situation. So he says to them, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, has really served the gospel. It is not about my persecution. I don't want you to look at my chains. I want you to look at the opportunity that my persecution has created for the gospel. It is advancing the gospel. He wants to turn their natural inclination towards persecution upside down to understand that this thing that has happened has actually, even the, the word, the original word might be interpreted ironically, served to advance the gospel. His suffering is serving the gospel. And this is contrary to how we think about suffering. We live in the world. The world thinks that suffering is, is losing. It's not winning. It's losing. And Paul wants to turn this upside down. Scripture is actually very consistent in teaching us that suffering is not defeat for the believer. But suffering is opportunity for victory for the believer. That suffering is an opportunity to produce good fruit and to shine for Christ that you might not have if everything went well with you. Paul's helping the Philippians think this way. And it's interesting to note that, that if you talk to many of those who are persecuted and you say, how can we pray for you? What can we do for you? At the top of the list often is not for relief from suffering, but strength and peace to endure the suffering, and produce good fruit. Maybe some of you had read, have read Tortured for Christ by Richard Wormbrandt. Uh, I believe he's gone on to be with the Lord, but he had been a pastor in communist Romania for years. He was tortured brutally. It's a very graphic book. But he says this in the book. He says, Hear the cries of your brothers and sisters in communist lands in the persecuted part of the world. They do not ask for escape safety, or an easy life. 
They ask only for the tools to counteract the poisoning of their youth. They ask for Bibles to use in spreading the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? These people undergoing persecution are not asking primarily for relief from the persecution, but the tools, the resources, the, the, the fortitude in Christ to be witnesses where they are. That's what the word martyr means, by the way. It means witness. And this is so helpful for us. Paul's perspective in verse 12 is so helpful for us because it challenges our perception of hardship. We go to this natural view that that hardship is a bad thing. We cherish, brothers and sisters, we cherish comfort far too much and suffering far too little. Paul wants to turn that upside down for the believer because through suffering, we learn that Christ overcomes the world in and through us. He has overcome, and we experience that victory as we encounter suffering and we realize that He is indeed all that we need. There is riches. There are riches there, but we, we love comfort often, and, and we, we abhor suffering. And, and perhaps for the Philippians, this is part of the problem for them. Remember, they are dealing with some disunity issues in their church. And one of the things that Paul's doing as he lays his example before them, as he calls them to the gospel, the wonderful news of Christ who suffered for us to pay for our sins and rose again victorious for our life. He calls them to live in this. And and, and one of the things that he's doing in that is he's addressing disunity. And I think he's addressing disunity here because where does strife come from? Often, strife comes from unmet expectations. What sort of expectations? Expectations of comfort. We want things a certain way. We want things a certain way, and someone comes along and messes up our plans for our comfort, and there's disunity, there's strife. It, it can happen all sorts of ways. We, we come to church, and we want church to be this, this place where there's comfort. We want church to be the ultimate comfort provider. And certainly there's an aspect of spiritual comfort that we find in church and, and nowhere else. That's true, but but but. We're not guaranteed physical comfort, and there can be relational discomfort because we're a bunch of sinners together experiencing grace. But we can come to church with these ideas that church should be this place where everybody is nice. Everybody worships just the right way. Everybody has just the right theology. The kids get along. Our kids are perfectly safe here. We can have this expectation. Certainly we want it to be a safe place. But we cannot guarantee perfect safety. So we come with these expectations to church. Sometimes they're unknown. And what happens, something or someone gets in the way and messes with our expectations. And what do we do? We get angry at the person. You're messing with my comfort. So Paul is calling the Philippians to an alternative view of life, an alternative view of suffering. To understand that suffering is opportunity to shine for Christ. And as we encounter these disappointments, they are opportunities for us to shine for Christ. That's what we learn from Paul. That's what we learn from the persecuted. There are more important things in life than our comfort. And it is in our discomfort often that our idols are exposed, the false things that we trust in more than God. 
It is in our discomfort that often we're forced to go deeper with most shine for his glory and the good of others. And this is the lesson of Philippians 1.12. And Paul illustrates this reality, the fact that this is uh, his discomfort is opportunity for good in verse 13. He says that in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Through his imprisonment, through his persecution, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. The, the imperial guard were these elite soldiers uh, who were given the task of, of basically being the bodyguards of the emperor. There were about 3,000 of them on duty at a time. They camped just outside the city, and they likely were the, the men to whom Paul was chained day and night. And can you imagine what went on in that? Paul says that, that the fact that he's in prison for Christ has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So basically, that camp of 3,000 soldiers or so is abuzz with the, this rumor, this story about this guy who's in prison. And, and, and they probably knew that Paul was a well-educated, uh, well-connected man a Jew, from a prominent Jewish family, a scholar, and they're probably wondering, what's going on? Why is this guy? Why is this guy in jail? And the story got around. The whole, the whole guard was being made aware of this situation. So his his chains were an opportunity to proclaim Christ to this whole guard. These were hardened soldiers, and they were hearing about him. They were hearing about Paul being in chains. I, I can imagine what it must have been like uh, if I were the, the, the centurion, the captain in charge of Paul's, of Paul's imprisonment. I, I just can imagine, can you imagine what was going on as these guys were chained to the Apostle Paul day and night? What would it be like if you were chained to the Apostle Paul for a whole day? Do you think your life might be affected somehow? As he just gently loves, maybe asks you questions, uh, starts to talk about Christ, starts to explain Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the, if the centurion had a problem on his hands because he probably had to keep on rotating new guards out because they kept on coming to Christ through Paul. And, and maybe that's what was going on. We don't know the whole story, but, but through his life, and, and, and probably through his meekness and suffering and his example and his proclamation of Christ, that the word was getting out to the guards. And he goes on to say that uh, it's not just the guards. It says that, that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. All the rest of who? All the rest of the world? Well, we don't quite know who all the rest are unless we turn to the end of the book of Philippians, the second to last verse. And as Paul finishes up this letter, he just kind of throws this little little uh, zinger out there. He says, verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He's talking to the Philippians. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. There are believers in Caesar's household. Now, we don't know for sure, but, but I think that that's, that's who Paul's talking about when he says, all the rest. The word has gotten out. And there are those in the household, whether they were servants and slaves or prominent officials, we don't know. But they were being affected by his testimony as he suffered for Christ. Paul wants the Philippians to understand this. He wants them to understand how suffering, how hardship works and how it is an opportunity. He wants them to be encouraged through his own ministry to them. So he shares this wonderful story. The fellowship of the persecuted 
reaches the lost. It reaches the lost through the example of a Christian suffering. And I think we need to understand that from for us, that our, some of our greatest opportunities to shine for Christ will be as we go through suffering before the eyes of others. They will see the gold that comes out. This has been part of my concern, actually, uh, for some of the Tebow mania that's gone on uh, that you guys probably know about. I, I, like, I really like Tim Tebow. I think he's a solid Christian man. Uh, he, has a, he has a genuine uh, a testimony of, of Christianity in his life on and off the field, so this is not against him. But there's this idea with the Tebow mania that, that we're, they were kind of on the bandwagon liking Tim Tebow. Why, though? Well, because he's a Christian, perhaps. Well, I, I wonder if some of it is because he wins and he's a Christian. Because, you know, there's other very exemplary Christians in the league who don't perhaps win as much as Tim Tebow. There are other quarterbacks as well. You can, you can do your homework and find that out. Why are we so enamored with Tim Tebow? Is it because he wins? And given that he didn't win last night? I won't share my opinion on that, but given that he didn't win last night, are we going to like him less? Perhaps. Yeah. We, we, we might like him less. Well, there's a problem with that, I think. There's a problem with that if, if we are liking him because he's a winner. Paul is not a winner here in jail, imprisoned. He's a loser. And Christians are winners when they are losing in the world's eyes. And perhaps for Christian athletes, the times that they'll shine, the brightest is off the field. And when they lose on the field and they do it differently than how others might do it. And he has a wonderful opportunity to do that just now. Uh, I love Eric Little. If you know the story of Eric Little, he was a, uh, an Olympic uh, gold medalist, right, in the 100, 100 meter, um, which wasn't his event, if I remember. It was at the 400. I can't remember which. Um, and he was a, a world-class rugby player. He gave up his sports career to serve the Lord as a missionary in China right before World War II. And if you know the story, he was put in a Japanese concentration camp, and that's where he's shown the most. Eric Little shown the most in that Japanese concentration camp, not on the Olympic track. Because in that camp, he, he loved people. He served. He laid down his life. He brought the kids together. He served the children. He cared for others, even to the point of death. He died in that concentration camp for Christ. He was an example. He's shown. And this is the lesson we see in Philippians through Paul. And it's the lesson we see with the persecuted, that we shine most often, most brightly in suffering. And it is through that shining in suffering that people are impacted for Christ. There's another thing that goes on when people are persecuted. Paul addresses it in verse 14. Look with me where he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Isn't that an amazing statement? He's saying that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by his imprisonment. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense if you think about it. If you go out with a buddy, a friend, to share Christ, and they arrest your friend and throw them in jail, wouldn't the natural inclination be to become more timid? Oh, I better not tell anyone or mention the name Jesus if this happened to my friend. But that's not what happened 
in Rome with Paul. He's saying that through his imprisonment, most of the brothers have, become, have been emboldened to speak the word without fear. They have received fresh boldness to proclaim Christ. That's an amazing statement, and I think it's an accurate statement. Certainly, first, because it's in the Word. Secondly, it's what we see happen. It is the benefit to us, actually, of our fellowship with the persecuted. You know what, guys? We need them more than they need us. Because we live in a world afraid to share Christ with people who are not going to do anything bad to us, maybe call us a name, maybe walk away. We're naturally afraid. I don't know all the reasons why that happens, and I think there's an irrational fear that comes into us. We think something really bad will happen if, if I talk to this person about Jesus. They're going to they're gonna do something really bad. The, the, the world is going to stop spinning. The universe is going to collapse. We're going to go floating into space. I don't know. Something bad will happen if I tell this person about Christ. It's just irrational. But when we get a look at the lives of the persecuted, we realize, you know what? It doesn't happen. That bad thing doesn't happen. Matter of fact, when these people share Christ and they do get in trouble, we see in their lives that there's hope. There's still strength. They overcome the world. It doesn't cripple them. It doesn't control them. And they get to shine for Jesus. And we see in their lives what matters most is not how I feel, whether I'm afraid to talk to somebody or not. That's not all that important, how I feel. What matters is Jesus and people. And it helps us. It encourages us. It emboldens us just to stop being ridiculous and love people and be bold and share with them as is appropriate. The example of the persecuted. Paul's example in prison for the brothers in Rome. Our 200 million brothers and sisters and the ones that are in prison and the ones that give their lives up for the Lord have a tremendous ministry for us to embolden us here. And this is one of the things that I've been praying for this day and for our fellowship with the persecuted, that as a result of being connected, we would be able to pray for them, perhaps support them, but we ourselves would receive fresh boldness to live the life and proclaim the truth where we are. Let me finish with a story. And we're going to pray, actually, for the persecuted together. This story, I think, is, is a sad story in some ways and a wonderful story in others. And I think it's in a, a story that will embolden us. It's the story of a young Christian man, Tapan from Bangladesh, told through the journal of his sister. And I think we have to put it up, have it to put it up. January 12th, 2005. Dear God, my friends tell me that older brothers are demanding and arrogant. That may be true, but I have never seen that in my brother Tapan. Today for my birthday, he completely surprised me by giving me a brand new necklace. If he made it himself, it must have taken him hours because he's terrible with small beads. March 9th. Dear God, I'm scared. Yesterday, a pastor from a church we know was beheaded. He was murdered by ten Muslims, seven of whom are still on the streets. Because of this, Mother and I decided not to go to church this week, but Tapan still went. I tried to tell him to stay, but he wouldn't listen to me. He said worshiping God was more important than his safety. I suppose this is true, but I was still too scared to go. 
But I did pray for him the whole time that he was gone, and he has come back home safely. June 18th. Dear God, guess what Tappan? Guess what? Tappan got a job with a Christian organization. He is so excited. They are called Christian Life Bangladesh, and they do medical work to help prevent AIDS and also share the Jesus film with others and tell them about Christ. I'm very excited for him, but also very scared. People say that the Muslim extremists in our village have a hit list, and that if you work for a church or a Christian group, that you are put on that list. I hope that that does not happen to Tapan. July 23rd. Oh God, please keep Tapan safe. Today, when I was walking by the madrasa, the Islamic school, one of the boys told me that if my brother keeps showing the Jesus film, that they're going to do something to him. I told Tapan this, but he just calmly replied, God is protecting me. Every day that I am alive, it is because of his mercy. And if I am hurt or killed, it will be for his glory. God, I wish that I could just hold on to my brother and tell him that he must stay at home or hide somewhere. But I know that is not what you want him to be doing. Please help me to be able to let him go. July 29th. God, no. No, 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 no. How could they? Less than three hours ago, men broke into Tapan's room. While Tapan and his friend Liplal were sleeping, they began to stab them over and over until they were practically hacked to death. As soon as we heard their cries, we tried to get into the room, but they had chained all our doors and the neighbor's doors closed. We could do nothing but bang on our doors and listen to Tapan and Liplal's screams. One of the neighbors finally broke through their door and the murderers ran off. Someone got a car and we all piled in to drive them to the hospital, but, but it was too late. Tapan was dead by the time we arrived. And so now I, I'm sitting in Tapan's room, only he's gone. October 26th. Dear God, I have doubted you so much over these last few months. It has been so hard having Tapan gone. I want to blame you for his death. Sometimes I think to myself, if only Tapan had not been a Christian, then he would not have been killed. But then I think, if Tapan had not been a Christian, then he would have been dead in his sins. How much better is it that he was free from guilt and sin and now is alive in heaven? Yes, I know this is true. But oftentimes, a message is harder to cling to than the real fleshly body of Tapan. July 29, 2006. Dear God, I still believe in you. One year ago today, Muslim men martyred my brother because he was a Christian. Because of that, I have struggled with hatred, bitterness, and depression. But I have also seen your love, strength, and compassion. It would be easy to say I do not believe in the Christian God anymore, but it would not be better. I can honestly say that I have felt your presence this year. You are not the God of easy answers, magical fixes, or painless lives, but you are the God who meets us in the middle of our trials. Thank you for being real to me, my mother, and our whole church as we mourn the death of my brother. Examples like tap ends change our lives. They embolden us to live for Christ and to proclaim Christ. And they also call us to enter into this fellowship, this relationship. Paul goes on in the letter to call the Philippians to this fellowship. He shares with them because he wants them to benefit from the perspective. He wants them to be emboldened. He wants them to be encouraged. But then later on in chapter 1, 
As he's speaking about his life and the, and the possibility that he might die, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul calls the Philippians to pray for him. And there's this wonderful partnership where they support him as well. And they receive the benefit of his example. Well, this relationship that he had, we are called to as well with God's people. And we're going to close our time, actually, by doing what Paul called the Philippians to. We're going to pray for the persecuted. We've asked three different people to prepare, to pray, to lead us in just a couple, two or three minutes worth of prayer. And we could pray for a long time, by the way, for all these countries, for three countries, Three areas, North Korea, North Africa, and Myanmar. In all three areas, we have sister churches within our denomination that are in the area. And so, so we want to pray for the people. We want to pray for these churches that are ministering there as well. So if uh, Daniel Buckley, Annie Havistow, and Mike Lilly could come up, and if the worship team could come on up stage, up onto the stage, we will pray, and then we'll close our time together. Yes, dear Lord, I pray for North Korea. When you look at the satellite image, there's no light coming from there. Christians are persecuted there, Lord. I pray that in this time of the transition to the new leadership, that your people would speak out, Lord. Or that you would minister to them. I pray that you would replace the Trinity the false trinity of the great leaders of North Korea with the true trinity, Lord. Replace, replace their spirit, Lord, of nationalism with your spirit of life, Lord. That North Korea would shine as South Korea does, Lord. May your light shine in the darkest corners there. Lord, they, they send people away to concentration camps. They create an environment of fear, Lord. It could be called the darkest corner of the world. I pray that you would cause those Christians who are in those camps to shine for you, Lord. Make them a testimony. Encourage them. The psychological warfare upon them is, is heavy, Lord, and there's great discouragement. There's temptation to despair, Lord, but May they shine in that dark place, in that place of deep despair, in that place of pain. May the truth come forth. May their passion be for you. May that shine out of there, Lord, and through this persecution and this pain of the people of North Korea, Lord, your Christians there. May there come revival, unexpected, unstoppable. Help them to look forward to that, Lord. Help them to look forward to the time when they will all be with you, Lord. There'll be no more fear, no more pain there with them, Lord. They will know you, and help them to know that now. Help them to know it close to them. Lord, you have pierced these dark places before, 
even the Roman Empire, many places where there has been intense persecution of your people, as there is now there. Lord, you have shown forth, and you have brought your word forth in those dark places, shining lights into the darkest corners of the world, and we have faith that you will do that now. It is not difficult for you to do that, Lord, so rescue your people out of this dark place of North Korea, Lord, and bring revival there. Surprise us all, as you always do. In Jesus' name. I pray for North Africa, Lord, as just so many people are being persecuted, Lord, and I pray that you would just give them strength in this time, Lord. I can't imagine how hard this would be, Lord, and that you give them strength to continue, even though the odds against them are insurmountable. Lord, that you would give them strength and that you would let everything that happens to them, Lord, before your glory, Lord, that you would give them strength and peace to know that even though this is so hard, Lord, that you are being glorified and that their prize will be in heaven, Lord, with you. Lord, I pray for those around them, Lord, the guards, the people who persecute them, the people who want to hear but are just too afraid to, Lord, I pray that you would open their ears, Lord, and just change things as people hear and see what they can't imagine and what they can't just figure out in their minds, Lord, as they realize your glory is what is ultimate, Lord. Amen. Father, we come before you today on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Burma. Lord, help us to remember them in our prayers as they daily face persecution or depression, discrimination, extortion, or they're facing arsons of their, their daughters being kidnapped, or uh, believers being imprisoned, and tortured, or even put to death. Father, may they be uh, strong witnesses for your son. Father, cause these men and women to persevere in their faith. Grant them, Lord God, just a supernatural endurance that they might run the race and not grow weary, that they might run and endure for the sake of the gospel. Keep them from the temptation to deny you, Jesus. Strengthen their resolve, even in the face of torture and death. May those who persecute them find only a clear message of love and faithfulness to Christ at the core of these men and women. Keep these brothers and sisters, Lord God, from the temptation of retaliating in the strength of man. May their retaliation be only to, to pray and to, to glorify you, Father. When they are beaten or crushed for your sake, may they bleed Jesus. Give them an unshakable faith in the future glory that is in you. May the threat of death cause them to trust you even more. And instead of despairing, may it, cause, may it be a cause for great joy for them. That they would be counted among the, those who are worthy to suffer on your behalf. Father, encourage those in prison and sustain them through your Holy Spirit. May their steadfast faith in Christ in the face of their adversity 
be the physical catalyst you use, Lord God, through your Holy Spirit to change the hearts of their captors. God, bless the families of those men and women who are incarcerated, abducted, or killed. Lord God, protect and provide for those families, even as your word says that you do not forget the widows or the orphans, but that your ears are turned towards them. Father, be gracious to them. Be merciful and meet their needs. May they rise up and glorify you. Give them the grace to forgive and even love those who persecute them. Father, I lift up specifically the, the Karen and the Kachin people groups to you. I ask that the believers in, in those peoples, Lord, uh, would remain faithful in the face of so much hardship and loss of life. Father, keep their faith from becoming cold or their hearts from becoming bitter. Strengthen their resolve to proclaim the gospel in the Irrawaddy Valley, Lord God. Father, I remember, uh, I'm reminded of, of um, Adniram Johnson, where he gave his life to, to, to preach the gospel to those very same people, Lord God, and how you, you have kept a remnant to this day among that people group. You are gracious, Lord God. Father, uh, we ask for prayer for, for, for uh, Pastor David, who, who went to Sovereign Grace, his pastoral college, and, and preaches the gospel now. Father, uh, we send medical missions teams who have, have gone over there from Sovereign Grace. Lord, I, I pray that you would just bless the seeds that have been planted, Lord God. Father, that you, that you give this man grace to continue preaching the gospel. Father, uh, that you raise up other leaders and other pastors uh, as he goes forth to plant churches into the countryside, Lord God. That you make him a faithful witness. Father, be gracious to these people. Pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We have um, some wristbands to pass out. It says on the wristband, one with them. It's from Voice of the Martyrs. And actually, if the ushers could pass that out, those out as we sing. And, and if you want to take one, it's a way to uh, remember our brothers and sisters, to remember, to remember them, to pray for them, and also an opportunity to tell others about them and to talk about Jesus as a result. So I encourage you to take one as it passes, as the basket passes. Let's close in worship and song. Thank you, Lord. Your glorious cause, O oh God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. Your cross has saved us, so we pray your King.
Show up.